0: Welcome back to your favorite F bomb drop in <laughs> ranting and rioting podcast. Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Oh, I thought this was just <laughs> I thought this was still on a horse around, well,
1: it is kind of, but I say do the intro and then we can horse around. At least then we got the intro right at the beginning.
0: Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast with your host, with the most, Brandoni Ost.
1: And old Jamesy. Old Jamesy, mate. Back oh, at it better. again
0: with another week of talking scuba diving. And um, a little bit more of this uh, carrying, continuing on a little bit of this
1: uh, cave diving, especially in light of what just happened over the weekend. It is uh, cave diving month. I say we just go along with the official cave diving month theme, and we'll talk about cave diving a little bit. Uh, the other side of that, Jamesy, is... <laughs> Can I call you Jamesy? Go for it. <laughs> You're supposed Jamesy, to say no. Jamesy and Can Brandon. I call you Steve No. The other side of no, that is... No, he said, is, didn't he say, can I call you can I call you? Dan? Oh, you need a name, he yeah. He goes, can I call no, you dad? He goes, no. No. How, How about, about Steve Z? <laughs> yes, I, I remember now, yeah. I was going to say, the other side of all that is cave. the cave diving kind of, it goes along with diving, period. It is, to many, in the diving community, it's the apex of training. It's the pinnacle of, you know, technique and planning and et cetera, equipment, robustness. It, if it can survive cave diving for the most part, it's, it's up there. You know what I'm saying? Would do you agree?
0: If it can survive cave diving, it should be able to handle a 40 foot reef. No problem. Well, but <laughs> that, that statement is not necessarily
1: reciprocable. Uh, exactly. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is cave. Di- I remember when I took my cave diving class, it wasn't necessarily to get into cave diving because I thought, what's the big deal of looking at white rock for two and three hours at a time. But, I think you'll agree, uh, you get hooked into it. It's like a drug almost, right? Besides just the beauty and the, uh, the environment, the, the technique of the dive, the challenges you meet. There's just a, a different feel to it. So,
0: Yeah, you're forced to have a level of awareness and control that a, a normal open water dive just doesn't require out of you. So you need to be a little bit more in tune with yourself and uh, definitely with uh, the people you're in the water with. Correct.
1: Anyway, back to cave diving. So we thought we'd continue with that cave diving. Well, thing. maybe if
0: this is if this is cave diving month, January or the first two weeks of February, last
1: two weeks of January. Yes, that's exactly Beads what in. it is. Right. It still definitely concerns divers of all levels, listening to the cave diving accidents and and the analysis, because that's what that's really what came out of, out of cave diving. I think that was really beneficial to the entire community was the accident analysis.
0: Right, and it started off in uh, in the late 70s where accident analysis became part of the training, yet it still seems
1: to be removed from regular diving education. Exactly. It is because... They don't want to introduce the idea of an accident. And in my humble opinion, this is what I feel and see, and there's no conclusions ever reached. There's no critique really allowed. There's no, you know, it's not that you're looking to blame someone. You're trying to find where did this guy go wrong. And a lot of it, the, the going wrong part stems from their very approach to the dive their very basis of how they dive, period, stretching that limit, making your prior errors as your base. And you keep making your, you know, that threshold where you would actually be injured or die. You keep pushing that a little further. So the errors you made, you did them without incident. So now you say, well, I can continue to make those errors because nothing happened. So that's what I see in the, you know, recreational community. And then all of a sudden there's an accident and. People want to go, hey, what happened? Did he do this? Did he Well, you can't speculate. Condolences to the family. He died doing something he loved. Don't you dare blame anyone.
0: Right. And that's often the the, the case with pretty much all die fatalities is he died doing what he loved. Say only nice things. Should we try and learn something from it? (laughs) Why? No, 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 no. No, we're just going to design a BCD that
1: controls its buoyancy for you. Exactly. No, let's uh, put this accident in the past immediately because we need to crush any discussion on it because it might reach out into the recreational world where people are spending their money buying gear new divers are buying equipment they don't want to you don't want to frighten them off
0: well yeah so interestingly enough right i um you know we started talking a little bit about cave diving there last week and then uh yesterday morning i get a call from from my old man he says hey somebody just died in a cave down here just making sure you're Diving safe. Uh, thanks, Dan. So I was uh, getting some info from him. At the time, he didn't have much information at all. Didn't even know where it was. Just saw something on the clicker tape running across the TV screen as he's watching the news kind of thing. So I looked into it, and it's it's another uh, case out of Eagle's
1: Nest. Yeah, and you should probably explain Eagle's Nest is a, a pretty deep cave. It's, among many, it's, you know, like this... Uh... Mount Everest of cave diving kind of thing. You know, it's a, it's a deep, deep cave.
0: And right away deep. It's just yes. straight down to mm-hmm. deep
1: water. 300 feet. And then you, then you start yeah. going cave diving kind of a thing. And then you go into the cave, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a formidable cave, and it's challenging, of course, and you shouldn't be even thinking about jumping into that cave without training and experience and all that good stuff, proper equipment, proper gases.
0: Well, the so the news story says that This guy was an avid cave diver and open water diver, uh, experienced all around adventurer, pilot, spear fisherman. And of course, the second sentence into the story does mention that I guess you could say, quote unquote, that he died doing what he loved. Shoot me right now. (laughs) But I also know he'd never want to leave his family this way. Well, of course, I would have to think that, right? They say that, uh, you know, some people have a thing about him diving eagle's nest and that it can be very dangerous because it's steep. but according to this you know he had all the proper training he had all the equipment uh was a fairly simple technical dive within his capacity and that something just went wrong on the dive his buddy ended up swimming him to the surface I heard another story, like looking through that his buddy basically sent him to the surface from like seventy feet
1: where he was. Like, so at the, at the at the top of that ballroom. So I guess what we we do have here is these were a buddy team. Two people went in. Is that correct? Sounds like it. So they had a plan, and they must have somewhat stayed together because the surviving. Buddy came up with the dead buddy. I guess that's what you call him. Can we get anything else? I mean, what kind of equipment was he wearing? What, where did the plan go wrong kind of thing? You, you mentioned earlier that it was planned as a recreational dive. However, there's nothing about Eagle's Nest that's recreational.
0: Sure, as soon as you hit the restriction, it's over. Yeah,
1: you're in a... <laughs> You're in a cave. You're in a deep cave. So it's deep and it's a cave.
0: Now, they go on to say that, you know, this guy was, you know, he was always the guy double checking equipment. Was he on a breather? Or they Doesn't won't say. say. Doesn't say. He was the, uh, you know, worked for, a, you know,
1: flight simulator company. His background means very little to me. Wait, he wait, wait. No? He had brown eyes. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how this is all Salt relevant. Salt pepper hair. They're trying to build this like it's not his fault. He had. This it's, incredible this second, resume.
0: It was the second fatality in his family this week. His grandma had just died
1: the week. Are you serious? He was a pallbearer. He, you're serious. This is in the story. How this is relevant to to, to us? Is this in a diving? Uh, so this is in, just in the
0: Tampa Bay Times. This is okay. in the, This, so is, this in the is a newspaper. little different.
1: This is a trying to tell a story of a guy who died versus correct looking at a scuba accident
0: if you want to look at the scuba accident you have to go to the land of ridiculousness <laughs> of course <laughs> So, scuba board, we go there, it's, you know, looks like another one. So this story, which is from a a Fox News story, looks like their local Fox News down there, was saying um, that they were barely inside the cave when he experienced a medical episode. They weren't planning to explore any deeper than the first room of the cave when the incident occurred. I don't know if he uh, simply
1: drowned or had a heart attack or what it was. When you say... The first room of the cave, what room name? Did they give a name for the room?
0: Yeah, I'm sure they're talking about the uh, the entrance room, which
1: they, they called in that story the ballroom. So they were just going to go past that, that yeah, main restriction Yeah, they were going to go through that, that main set. restriction
0: and play like right around at the top of that entrance room is what it yeah, sounds like from the story.
1: So it's like you get below 50, 60 feet, you're in the room. You have to go through a restriction to get any deeper.
0: Word through the grapevine is an uncontrolled descent from depth impacting off the roof of the cave at 60 feet. His buddy found him with his rag out of his mouth, and then his
1: buddy sent him up through the solution tube up to the surface. So the solution tube uh, is the restriction is the, yeah. just for our non-cave diving listeners.
0: And then there's a bunch of just typical internet
1: speculation.
0: If it was an uncontrolled ascent, if he was panicking because he thought he was having a heart attack, if his BCD ran away on him, if his dry suit inflator inflated, if his mask leaked... If his snorkel came undone.
1: Yeah, I'm still. They don't say whether he was open circuit or rebreather. No, but the one. Now, the one hearsay
0: was that uh, he lost his buoyancy, hit the the roof, and dislodged
1: his regulator from his mouth. So I'm going to assume. But that could still be your your regulator. Could be, yeah. So. It's your mouthpiece. I mean, that doesn't, again, I look through, I look at this as if it's maybe there's just purposeful omission here because, of course, the rebreather push right now is huge. And they're not going to, you know, they're trying to keep yeah, those Yeah, but let's not get on too. the speculation game ourselves. Well, we're not. I just, right. I'm asking. It's suspicious to me that they don't say he's an open circuit. In this day and age when we have so many rebreather divers and open circuit divers, and that's extremely important to looking at this, this issue, this accident. He has a rebreather accident. Well, those are like, they come out of nowhere. And you just, you're out. You lose control of your buoyancy. You go unconscious. Right. Boom, that's what happens to rebreather. So it accidents. sounds
0: like they're going to do a, uh, a medical examination, and there's supposed to be more
1: information coming out end of this week. Sure. Hopefully most we'll everybody see. will forget.
0: Well, I think that's a lot of what they often try to do.
1: Exactly. That's, that's what I'm getting But at. Let's,
0: uh, let's do this. So last week we were talking a little bit about Sheck Exley, the guy that wrote that cave diving blueprint for survival which was kind of the, the go-to book for quite some time. And he's got a, another book that he wrote, Caverns Measureless to Man, which kind of chronicles a lot of his early days of cave diving and some really great stories and adventures that, that he went on, one of which was Eagle's Nest. was kind of one of those early learning caves for him. Yeah. So I figured maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll kind of go through this, uh, this story a little bit. It's, uh, it's just out of one of these chapters. Okay. Okay. Like, yeah, like and we'll kind of it's because it's a crazy little adventure where he sneaks out. So in caverns, measureless to man, there's a chapter called the bottomless holes where he talks about a couple of the early days of of really getting into those deep dives, where they started pushing the limitations of the of the gear of those single single tank dives, those steel seventy twos that they were using, and getting into the point of really opening up where this deep diving, deep cave diving exploration was going to go to. And it gives a good feel for what good old Florida is right off the bat, because he starts off the chapter quoting one of the locals. Sure, a horde of it, the old timer said. Just follow the next dirt road and you can't miss it. He paused (laughs) to spit a mouthful (laughs) of tobacco juice, then added, but be careful, because it ain't got no bottom.
1: What are you looking at over there? Cave diver form. Anything in there? (laughs) Four pages of discussion, and it goes into you're an opinionated ass. <laughs> okay, so then f- that thing. No, it's good. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll come back to that at the end, maybe. Well, the the person here is like, just because he's a boat owner doesn't mean he should be in an accident. That's not like a badge of honor. <laughs> like I got a <laughs> right. boating accident. And that's what I, I think. That's part of it. It's like all you can he- read on here is anyway. I've known him for this many years. He was methodical and intelligent, and that's all they say. Like don't. Don't say anything bad about him, period, because yeah. we're not going to talk about the, the accident. I know, I've know i known him for 30 years. Yes. He could never die inside <laughs> of a cave. Yes, exactly. Just, <laughs> I can tell you, what he just did. And I understand everybody's sad, and you try to tiptoe around this whole subject, and I think all people want, at least some people, is just say, here's what he was wearing. Here's his level of training. This is how we found him. That right there would answer 10,000 questions. That people are popping up there, but they won't even say that.
0: No, so then they gotta let let 10 pages of forum speculation go and just run run ridiculous circles of of just trying to decide just based off of he's dead at the end of the dive.
1: Right. And people are like, well, I saw him once wear this. How dare you? How dare you? Are you saying that because he had this BCD, he died? You know, we as cave divers or we as divers are trying to look at this incident and go, well, here's what may have happened. What are you going to do? Just there, go, oh, there's another dead one.
0: All right, let's get into this. I need you as my color commentary. Okay, go ahead. The toughest cave in Florida in the 1960s was Eagle's Nest, also known as Lost Sink. Hornsby was longer and Zuber was nearly as deep, but Eagle's Nest was long and deep. Cave dives into the Northwest Passage there were considered suicidal. After conquering Zuber, I was ready for a new challenge. I had been intrigued by Eagle's Nest ever since... Joe Prosser and I had first dived it in 1966. He uh, he goes on to saying how uh, he he had met Tom Mount there recently, and uh, Tom had said that that tunnel goes as deep as you want to go. And old sheck there had uh, had one problem. He mentions he could not get anyone to go diving with him. What about Tom? I don't think he was on a uh, diving buddy terms terms with, with old Tom time? at the time. He just knew him. He says that. All of his other friends in the Dixie Cavern Kings lacked the depth experience. The divers who were qualified uh, did not know him. You do not cave dive casually with strangers, regardless of their credentials, much less try to add length to the permanent exploration line in the nest. Furthermore, if they did dive with him and something had happened, he knew that they'd be worried about it and probably be worried about getting sued because he was still legally a child and barely 20 years old at this time. So he's legally a child at nineteen. Well, I'm thinking he's saying at twenty one, you're an uh, an adult man. Oh, because okay. he he says I was twenty years old, still legally a child. Okay, so that's maybe the what they thought of it in those days. Okay, but whatever. That's it. That's his his words, not mine. So early on May eleventh, nineteen sixty nine, after fighting my way two miles down a deeply rutted swamp trail that led to the nearest paved road, I pulled up to the nest. A small alligator swam past me as I submerged, watching me from a safe distance while its graceful tail cut a shimmering wake in the pond. I followed a log pine on the bottom to a depth of 20 feet near the center of the pool, then fanned away a small school of bream so I could tie off my guideline on a branch. Below, the bottom sloped precipitously to a cluster of three dark holes at a depth of 50 feet. I dropped down the largest hole, which was four feet in diameter and cylindrical enough to appear man-made. At 70 feet, I abruptly dropped into a black void without apparent bottom or walls, despite the superb visibility. The entrance room had a perfectly flat ceiling from which plunged shimmering beams of sunlight through all three holes. Cool. cool so, so that's shot. so that's going through that that um what do they first call it uh, the uh solution to the solution tube into oh, yes. the that big entrance room right. which is right about where it sounds like this guy was mm-hmm. at the end of his death was at the yeah. top of this room where he had whatever issues he had right no telling what that was could have been a
1: million different things don't say that you don't you're not qualified to say that he was intelligent methodical he was doing what he loved he was a good dresser i don't mean to make fun of i'm not i'm not making fun of i'm making fun of the posters there yeah of the people
0: after dropping another 30 feet i could see a mountain of sand and rock far below me i followed its slope northwest 150 feet to a wall of the 300 foot wide room at a depth of 200 feet, my eyes had now become accustomed to the gloom. So I was able to enjoy the ghostly spectacle of the 85 foot high mountain illuminated by three beams of sunlight. The boulders in the huge mound looked like tombstones sticking out of the white sand. Now he's doing this, by the way. Like on like a three watt light, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like those old yeah, goofy I mean. flashlights we used uh, to go trick or treat well, when, curi- yeah. when you're a kid.
1: I'm curious what I know it's a well, those were bulb. probably Better yeah. than uh, what what he was using. No, I'd be curious. What what year was this? This is '69. Oh, '69. Okay, yeah. So his homemade bulb that he is using. Yeah, if it was homemade it's bulb, probably, he may actually. You have know one what of those, those guys
0: were using a lot yeah. they were using those old
1: like uh, GE, yeah, like headlight lamps yes yeah, yeah yeah which isn't horrible i mean if you can if you can get the juice to drive it i still do have a giganto canister for my old i could drive my 50 watt goodman mounted halogen test tube light could drive that for like a 50 watt i think i had almost three hours on
0: a 50 watt yeah I had and a, that was in what uh
1: that was uh, in the
0: 90s in the 90s yes yeah so this was I, he says in, I, I don't want to say on the dive before
1: he mentions his light being like a 3-watt. Yeah. let <laughs> see. Yeah, and the 50-watt, compared to the HID well, now. Well, actually, I take, you know, LEDs.
0: Uh, that was, I want to say that was what my backup light, my just like alkaline, pre- oh, yeah, pre-LED yeah, 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 yeah. lights yeah. Yeah. that when I did my k my mm-hmm. goofy little backup light was a 3-watt. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was yeah, like, that oh, was when you little... got to go to that, it's like, oh, oh man, this sucks. You can't see anything. Well, you went for and it. For, and, uh, like, <laughs> Back in 69, he's like, got That's my your main stomach, light. <laughs> sweet three watt, least, I got my sweet three watt light. After a brief rest on a rock, I followed the slight mud slope into the passage. 100 feet further, the passage narrowed to only 35 feet wide and five feet high at a depth of 235 feet. Past that point, it widened again, but the slope was so gradual that it actually appeared horizontal to my narcosis numbed eyes. <laughs> <laughs> my depth gauge however continued to indicate increasing depth in contrast to the spectacular entrance room this passage was dark and dull in the dim beam of my three watt light there it is right there the regular sound of my exhalation started monotonous chords of organ music in my head most appropriate for a place that looked like a tomb nice so he's 240 feet yeah. on air on air in a cave in a cave yeah. three watt light yeah Narked narked to oblivion, and by himself, by himself. After another three hundred feet, I reached a twenty-foot-wide boulder that stuck up out of the mud like a
1: dozing dinosaur. My depth gauge read two hundred and sixty feet. Now he's approaching the the depth of where air actually becomes oxygen toxic. You know. Oh yeah, but dude, in this, I want to say that the next chapter they like they're like pushing 500
0: feet on air yeah i yeah, know yeah. people are doing this it is in fu- this is some this is random hit stuff. or miss yeah so he's um yeah yeah so this, this is cool so he's uh, so he's at
1: 260 so he's, so he's going put- after
0: what this one guy this frank martz uh right old frank martz so he'd been there and he's he's the young 20 year old kid yeah he's gonna go yeah. and grab frank's line and extend it yeah so now the line bent slightly to the right and dropped sharply I had stopped there the previous day. I followed it until suddenly the line disappeared into the black mud floor. I reached into the slimy ooze, felt something in the mud at the end of the line and pulled it up. A small plexiglass spool came up on a metal hub, the mud falling away from it in the brown cloud. Ahead I could see a shallow depression and deeper water. The spool still had some unused line on it from Frank Martz's previous dive. So I continued onward perhaps 20 feet horizontally to the deepest point before jamming it back into the mud. As I did so, I caught a glimpse of my depth gauge, 283 feet. Since the gauge was adjusted for denser seawater, my actual depth in the freshwater of the
1: nest was 292 feet. Linearly, yeah, you should point that. It's not actually adjusted, it's just, it reads in pressure. So anyway, yeah, so he's... he's uh. He's deep. Oh, He's, he's, he's deep. at the PO2 down there has got to be in the uh, 1.9. Oh, at 2, 298, he's he's at 10 at us. 9.8. Yeah, so 9.8 at us. Yeah, t- remember 298 is is 10 at us. So he'd be at your you're approaching your your limit your O2 limit 2. That, that we use now. Yeah, he's at a 2.0. He's breathing at a 2.0. Yeah. PPO2. Right. And that's our limit for DECO. Well, it's not even our limit for DECO anymore. It used to be the limit. And then they put it down to 1.6 for... What's the... Uh, what was it? 9.8 times 0.79. Oh, is not... Ar- 7.7.
0: Yeah. And you're at what, like what 3.5. What is,
1: what is the narcotic? 3.5. You're just getting into the narcotic. So he's breathing at a 7.7. 7. Yeah. PPN2. Right. So you, you're... Uh, if you say, you know, 100 foot is... 3.2 he's you know obviously yeah way up there
0: so he's a, he's at that he's doing a pretty wicked pretty serious dive right. and this is this dude's got some
1: cojones and uh, you'd like to say or he's just stupid but he's not he's, <laughs> no, he's one been, of the he's smartest a, people he's in a, the in right the right at sport. the time he's, yeah. go,
0: he's going to he's in college and he's uh he's going to be a math nerd he's a math teacher yeah, yeah, yeah. he's going to
1: become a math teacher but he's a mathematician major my
0: exit proceeded without incident to the dinosaur-sized boulder at 260 feet when a concussion jolted me and everything went black in my befuddled state it took me a couple seconds to realize what had happened the immense pressure of the water at this depth nearly 150 pounds per square inch had imploded the sealed beam of my light and sent the glass spewing over the floor of the cave when i fumbled for my backup light and hastily switched it on the tiny glass fragments sparkled like diamonds on the floor cool so we went from a three wide <laughs>
1: what is it what is it well i have to imagine to a, to his backup which, <laughs> which is probably a three wide <laughs> i don't know yeah i don't know what he's got wearing for a backup what can you get? how much lower can you what do you got a little pen light <laughs> how much smaller can you get
0: now came the long nearly horizontal swim back to the rock at 200 feet Mindful of my rapidly diminishing air supply and of the greatly lengthening decompression stop required for every minute I spent at this depth, I had a strong tendency to speed up at this point. But I forced myself to slow down, however, to avoid the exertion enhanced narcosis that had caused three other divers to black out and drown in this same passage. So though he knows he's dealing with the nitrogen narcosis at that deep depth, Mm. numbing him and giving him those issues, he's also really realizing that the CO2 buildup from working and trying to hurry up is actually more deadly and fatal than than just the drunkenness of nitrogen narcosis.
1: Well, yeah, the CO2 issue is it's a vicious cycle. It gets worse and worse. And the dense gas air, which density has a tremendous effect on its exchange and the way it travels through your, your lungs. It's harder to even move the gas in and out, which builds up more carbon dioxide. But the exchange is tougher.
0: Right. And, I mean, and this is an issue that divers face in
1: 100 feet of water. Right. Let alone mm-hmm. 300 feet. Right. And well, there's something to say for experience with it, knowing that this is what you're going to encounter and controlling your breathing and controlling your mind and controlling your equipment and your technique, etc yeah well said
0: finally the rock and my reel came into view after nearly half an hour of near darkness my eyes had adapted so well that the dim sunlight reaching the depth illuminated the entire 105 foot wide passage moments later i was on the ceiling of the entrance room at 70 feet i began my two and a half hours of decompression stops to avoid the bends i was exhilarated my 700 foot penetration at the nest had been further than i had ever been in an underwater cave was also the deepest cave dive ever made in the eastern United States, possibly the entire Western Hemisphere. So then, then he goes on, in the next chapter. He talks about getting in a fight with with March. So he's like, Fuck <laughs> you, kid! You didn't you didn't do anything." Yeah. I remember it's kind reading. Of funny. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so pretty amazing dive. For, I mean, for 1969 to to do that dive solo with a 50 years ago, man, 50 years right. ago. So oh, you, I guess you can see incredible. why why these guys still go to you know to that dive site, thinking, you know, hey,
1: man, I've got... Sheck did it in 69 with a three-watt light. I can do it. I think, you know, besides being a pretty smart guy and, and probably using his experience going on these deep dives and understanding that working at depth is not good, maybe he also has some kind of physical anomaly where he's a little bit more immune to narcosis and or CO2 buildup, things like that. Who knows? But just because Sheck did it did it. Yeah, but I'm sure it be, people it.
0: nowadays are like,
1: Man, Sheck had a
0: US Divers <laughs> Conchell 14. You know, I got this yeah. brand new, you know, 900 dollars regulator. You know, Sheck had a watch. Yeah. I got this blinking Cobalt computer, you know, it's, it's not, all full color and. Uh,
1: I don't think that really has. Uh, I mean, it's nice that you have the nice. check was
0: using it. a Clorox jug for buoyancy <laughs> control. I got this black diamond BCD. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: So, you, but you see where people can look at like it, it not being as intense of a dive as it really is. Well, and I mean, what I what's the hard part? You go down, you come up. You could say that about any dive, right? I'm, I mean and they and they do and that's yeah. and that's where I think that's the one of the the beginning things yeah. that go through the mind that leads to what happens in the end it's not necessarily that he lost buoyancy and that was oh, where no, the something fatality happened. Occurred. yeah something happened it yeah. was a most likely a series of events that led if up it to was, this. Even a medical,
1: a, a medical issue could have happened. Again, sure. it could be nothing diving-related in the sense of wasn't technique or equipment failure or whatever in those lines. It could just have been he had a medical problem that wasn't anticipated or known the guy could have had an aneurysm an aneurysm is like a silent killer you don't know you have it till it explodes
0: yeah it could have been a ton of different things now about R-10. a about a year year and a half ago the diving and hyperbaric medicine journal put out a report titled 30 years of american cave diving fatalities and in this they found that the most common cause of death was asphyxia due to drowning preceded by running out of breathing gas, usually
1: after getting lost, owing to a loss of visibility caused by suspended silt. When you get lost, you don't have your line as well. So you have no line and or no light. You know, remember those five must-haves of cave diving? Yeah, the five
0: golden rules, which, again, so they do make mention that in, uh, you know, uh, again, in 1979, Sheck actually published the first cave diving instructional text called Basic Cave Diving, the Blueprint for Survival, and this was the guideline that used accident analysis to illustrate the effectiveness of these new practices. At the time, at the, that time, training agencies reached a consensus that most cave diving deaths were caused by breaking one or more of the following golden rules. Number one being always limit penetration into a cave to one-third of the starting amount of gas. Two, always have a continuous guideline to the surface. Three, always dive at or shallower than a safe depth for the gas being used. And a few years later, they added to those three to create the five rules. All divers entering a
1: cave must have a cave diver training, and every diver should have three light sources. Yeah, I was going to say the three light one I hadn't heard. Um, And if you go through cave training, that's one of the first things you'll learn. You need these five things, at the very least, when you begin cave diving.
0: So these five these five points are known as the golden rules of cave diving. They mention in this report that previous cave diving fatality research compared trained with untrained divers, but the continued relevance of these five rules has not really been examined since they were finalized in 1984 and this is kind of the point of this report that they put out. They make mention that a lot of what they're looking at is right with the the increase in rebreathers coming into the cave diving the the increased use of dpvs uh propulsion propulsion vehicles coming into cave diving which is taking reasonably trained divers deeper further longer than what they would where they would get to had they just been swimming with that same level of experience but they're getting deeper longer further 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 faster penetration yeah and uh, looking at If that's having an effect, and they mentioned that the aim of this study was to review characteristics of recent mortality among trained cave divers in the USA and to provide a foundation upon which to build new preventative interventions if needed or to reinforce existing efforts. So the results of uh, the report, there was a total of 160 divers that were initially identified, 67 trained and 89 untrained in cave diving. Now what's interesting is that while the number of cave diving fatalities has steadily fallen over the last 3 decades the proportion of trained divers among those fatalities has steadily increased.
1: Really? Where, so trained whereas, divers are dying more. Correct.
0: So there was an almost there was almost a complete reversal of trained and untrained proportions between the two time periods. So back in those 60s and 70s people were dying in caves you know but it's because they were they, they didn't. they were untrained there's no sense. training really now people are still dying in caves but the proportion is greatly increased to people who should know better mm-hmm. are dying in caves and why are they dying the majority of the fatalities from both periods occurred wearing open circuit cylinders on the back and four in each period were diving with cylinders in side mount configuration. The number of fatalities using CCRs increased non-significantly from one to seven. I don't know how non-significant
1: one to seven what?
0: is <laughs> when you consider the increase of rebreather use, use right.
1: in that environment. Non-significantly one to seven—that's seven hundred percent increase. So
0: rules broken. And those which were considered by the reviewers to have been relevant to the outcome are presented in Table 3. At least one rule was broken by 13 of the 30 divers in the early group and 14 of the 37 in the later group. The rule of thirds was most commonly broken and most commonly relevant to the outcome, followed by the line rule and the gas rule. The light rule was not considered relevant in any of the fatalities. So what was most relevant was not running the gas plan, not sticking to the gas plan, not running the continuous line and then diving too deep for the gas. That makes sense. The causal chain of each trained diver, uh, each trained cave diver fatality is shown in the taxonomy on cave diving fatalities flow chart. So the taxonomy um flow chart's kind of cool, right? So it starts off looking at we have asphyxia due to drowning. Yes or no? No. Well, was it DCI? No. Was it cardiac? No. We have an unknown cause of death, basically. Versus I've got Asphyxia due to drowning. Was it because they
1: ran out of gas? Yes, because they were lost. Well, it's a nice little flow chart that kind of goes through. You run out of gas, why? Um, You're lost because of a silt out,
0: because you took a wrong turn, because you weren't running a line.
1: I guess my big thing is, is it really relevant to anything? Uh, Okay, yeah, good point. You know? I mean it, it's great to look at it it's a nice flowchart so that they, they use to identify So they the use to identify but, you know where the, where the problems went wrong I mean I thought our, our our main mission is to introduce them to accident analysis it came out of cave diving and that's how it's supposed to work is you're supposed to get information. And as it stands right now, with this eagle's nest thing, you just have a diver floating at the, the you know, near the first restriction. So that's all we have. And apparently, as usual, he was this incredible guy that this never should have slash would have happened to, by all accounts. That's all we've got. He was he was full trained cave. We don't know what equipment he was wearing. He's just unconscious and his buddy sent him up. So they did everything by the rules and he still died, is what I that's what I have.
0: Right, right. Well, I don't know that he was full-trained cave. It, it, it says see, full cave.
1: I saw something that said intro to cave. On Cave so, Diver but, Forum, the guy that knew him, full cave. Okay. He's full cave. Tra- Diver. Okay. I mean, that's not unreasonable. I would have to say we have to take the people's words that knew him. We have to take that as, as truth. I wouldn't say this guy's a liar. He's not full cave. But people were speculating he wasn't cave-trained and he wasn't supposed to be in there. And the guy came out and said he was full cave-trained. I thought that you had said that, too, in that first article. It's it, That just said
0: cave-trained. And then I just read something else that said intro to cave. So
1: Oh, okay. This guy said full cave in here. Yeah, I know a lot of people
0: that did a paddy cavern course
1: and will Keep talk in it like, they're ca- cave diver. In like they're, yeah. they went cave diving. Well, we should probably point that out in this, I this know episode a lot right of people, I know
0: a lot of people that <laughs> yeah. swam through
1: a coral Snow overhead <laughs> for 10 feet and, <laughs> yeah, that's a cave. And, and tell people how they were in caves. Yes. So... I mean, our listeners should know a full cave certified diver is not a cavern diver. It is not someone who falls through a coral tube. a, A full cave trained diver goes through extensive training, and it's usually not kumbaya training. In other words, it's not like hold our hands and everybody gets a pat on the back and you only get positive feedback. It's very critical of your diving, and most people come away from full cave training actually have learned something about themselves and their, how they dive, and, and they improve. They become safer divers for being a cave-trained tra- cave diver.
0: Generally, yes. Now, back to this report. In both of these studies, the commonest cause of drowning was running out of air due to the loss of visibility. Right.
1: So they get lost. You, when you lose the viz in the cave, you lose your line, and your light basically becomes useless. I think we've touched on you know the different bottom compositions. Some of them you can wait a few seconds to minutes and it will settle down. Some caves have really good flow. As a matter of fact, a good portion of caves have high flow, so it'll get stirred it up and get blown, blown away. away. So visibility returns. But in those rare caves, it's clay. When that gets stirred up, clay is going to
0: sit there much longer than your air supply is going to last. Yeah,
1: in the clay caves, very often there's no flow. So what happens is the molecules of the clay bind with the molecules of the water. It becomes chocolate milk, and it just stays there, and you're in it. And you can go around in circles there until your gas runs out.
0: So in the conclusion, um, the proportion of divers dying in caves in the U.S. who are not trained for cave diving has steadily fallen over the last three decades. Fatalities involving DPVs, rebreathers, and greater distance penetrations are also on the rise, though none statistically significantly Given the relatively small number, yeah, I forget about that. The line rule and the thirds rule are as relevant as ever, and we recommend that cave divers pay particular attention to gas planning and use and use of a continuous guideline. We recommend that divers do not get off the guideline, particularly during loss of visibility, as well as doing double and triple checks that the gases they are breathing are appropriate for their intended depths. So it's all. I think it still is going back to the basics of proper
1: planning have the guideline plan your gas be trained man have the right training you know once you get cave training you learn all this right right and the incident uh over the weekend to 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 start how can you apply it to this here's the thing and this is what i'm getting at is here's what we've got from all this accident analysis right now we have this accident and we can't draw any conclusions of anything from it because any information. nobody will give any information. To me, this is not a sole episode of, or we're not going to tell you anything. This is par for the course. Nobody's going to talk about it. Nobody's going to say he was wearing this. This was his experience level and his training level. Those are the things that have to be brought up. You know what equipment was. If the community is going to grow as a whole, right? If we're going to gain anything, if the community is going to gain anything from this this incident, it has to be talked about. We have to have the information. Right. This isn't like, uh, you know, a rape case where you can't put any names or anything out there. This is a diving fatality. The least that should be out there is. His level of training, how many years he's been diving, how if you know how many cave dives he's had, has he ever dove here before? Does he have experience in this cave? And what equipment, was he on a rebreather or open circuit? That's really big. And you could even say, what gas was he breathing? Sure, yeah. I mean, all those things allow us to at least go, hey, this is what could have happened. You're going to have this accident. And just like many of the other accidents, we will never hear about it in a month or two when everybody's forgotten about it. Nobody's going to go knocking, hey, hey, did we ever get a report, cause of death, equipment, uh, well, a full report? Right. Well, well,
0: what, what will happen is, you know, a year from now, there will be, uh, you know, one one spot in the, the Dan annual report Thank where it will say case number 273-273. Exactly.
1: Which does nothing. I mean, it's just another number and a statistic,
0: right? And it's gonna it's gonna highlight, you know, two divers went into Eagle's Nest, went through there was, and it, it might mention, you know, that, um you know, the, the the Dan report, which are pretty cool. Maybe we'll go into the, those next week. Yeah, if, you know, if this is. If uh, our listeners uh, send us feedback on this, you know, maybe we'll go through some of the the Dan annual report stuff. You guys can get a feel for what those are, but it'll it'll give you know what the final cause of death was. But it's gonna be drowning. It will, will be the cause of death. <laughs> Usually, you know? yeah. And then they might have a second tier in there of you know drowning because of ran out of gas or drowning, but but it's still that doesn't tell a lot of the story of, of what really happened leading up to. And then, you know, years later, that's, you know, will we'll be none the
1: better. Well, exactly. The, the other side of this is, you know, where, where there's motive to make money, there's motive to cover up stuff. The, that's what a lot of this not telling the details comes, comes from. It has nothing to do with sparing anybody any feelings. It has everything to do with, we don't want to make any waves in the scuba world. In my humble opinion, looking at you know the world and being in this world for fifty plus years, when there's money involved, if this little story is going to maybe have an impact on profits in whatever arena, they're not going to let the story out. The deaths and the accidents don't increase sales, right? <laughs> Quite the opposite. For the, right for the general public, a death in an accident is gonna it scares people away. The majority of people, so they don't want anything coming out about it so the the best thing that they believe they can do for business is shut up don't you dare criticize them right And, and
0: then what what they do what what the big industry does is they look at this type of diving as the the redheaded stepchild
1: of the industry. Well, of course. Is, well, of, well, of course.
0: There's a fatality. They were cave diving. They're
1: technical diving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's been so. That way and for and a then, while.
0: and that's where it scares off a lot of like the, the typical sport diver doesn't, you know, doesn't look at cave diving as this uh, goal to attain of of high technique and high ability and high mm-hmm. control and awareness. They look at it as a, a wild branch of extreme extreme craziness
1: that only you know uh, adrenaline junkies are going to do it's pretty much the opposite the cave divers that i've met that are really pushing the limits are extremely meticulous and very conservative it's extremely well planned out and they do the cave dives over and over and over tons of experience they don't push their limits like oh i'm just gonna you know go triple my right well
0: yeah because that stuff But it was already done back
1: in the 60s. (laughs) Well, somebody had to blaze the way. And I would also argue that it wasn't done recklessly back then. For what they knew, they were still doing it as safe as they could in their mind. Of course, you know, looking back, you're like, by today's standards, he was a nut job. That's crazy. (laughs) Correct. But by that standard, he was doing things very meticulously and safely pushing slowly pushing a little bit further slowly he already knew how far he could go not realizing well you could go that distance or that depth or that time over and over and over and then one day boom you're dead boom there you go yeah yeah so
0: interesting stuff this was uh this was kind of a fun fun way to apply something that just happened to you know this past weekend and and odd timing that it's just we just happened to be talking about the same stuff you know, During lap. National Cave Diving <laughs> Month. National Cave Diving Month, yes. So, hey, this was pretty great. It was a great dive for old Sheck Actually, when he did his. Um, wish everybody could have great dives. <laughs> and uh, hopefully you guys are all going to have a great dive yourselves.
1: Well, uh, before we, before week, we go, how does this relate to the open water diver? Can you sum it up?
0: Yeah, don't go cave diving. You'll
1: die. Well, it... Are the lessons learned in cave diving applicable to open water divers, especially new open water divers? Well, they should realize that a lot of what they're getting, a lot of the training and a lot of the equipment came from cave diving. Well, especially especially
0: today, you know, um, it's merging into the the main industry more and more every year. You know, 10 years ago, it it was definitely the, the outcast. 20 years ago, it was, you know shunned away and didn't want to be uh, you know looked at by the by the major agencies but now like we kind of highlighted a little bit last week they don't have a choice they they have to start bringing this planning in this equipment in this awareness mm-hmm. into the game for fear of looking foolish if if they didn't yeah right we made that point last week
1: yeah i, I mean thankfully
0: but even but even more so you can still mean uh i mean the way you and i teach is not hey there's this crazy thing called cave diving if you know if you ever get around to trying it right i mean that that is one way that 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 a lot of the the industry teaches there's there's a small section of people who who say you know like you and i who say this is the most demanding the most difficult this is the height of this recreation that we do right where everything has to be perfect the equipment has to work in this environment and we've scaled it back to the very beginning of you're just learning scuba if you've never put a mask or fins on before there's a way that you can do it so that everything stays consistent from that first day all the way up to
1: that day if you decide to go there right and this goes to a little principle in education called primacy which is that first thing you learn is what you'll always draw from, and it's the hardest to unlearn. So if you are learning things, go get on your knees and clear your mask. Get on the bottom, find something stable, and clear your mask. Well, try to unlearn that when you do finally get into cave diving or whatever. It's very difficult to go, okay, I, I can't, what, I've i got to stabilize you, myself. Can, but I, even, can I
0: even say... And open water diving, you can shouldn't have say to do it, too. Can I say when you yes. get into reality, like when you're on, a, you. when you're on yes. a wall yeah, dive yeah, yeah. in uh, the Cayman Islands, yeah. uh, try to unlearn that when... Oh, yeah. We well, need to clear the, your mask.
1: The argument I get back a lot is, well, on, day, you know, on the first week, we teach it in, in, on the bottom. And then the third or fourth week, before they leave, we'll introduce neutral buoyancy, clearing your mask. Because mm-hmm. neutral buoyancy is too hard to, to learn from day one. No, Which, no, no. It's too hard you. for you to teach. It's too hard to uh, – yes, exactly. It's too hard for you to teach. It's just so simple to just slam them on the bottom.
0: Right. That that shame on shame on you. Yeah. I mean, if that's still the case, right?
1: Exactly. Especially Because now. it's no
0: harder to yeah. learn neutrally buoyant first
1: than it is to learn negatively buoyant first. It's it's the same thing. You got a clean slate. Exactly. You got the clean slate. That's the the thing. And that's what I mean about primacy. Clean slate, put that first thing down and you grow from that. It's building blocks. It's building a pyramid. You want that foundation solid and, and not containing things you have to unlearn as you progress. Unlearning is difficult. I know that as a 50-year-old man, I can't unlearn things. It's tough. So,
0: All right, well, good deal. Hey, everybody, let me ask you a question. You got two minutes? Can you give me two minutes and uh, give us a little rating and a review on whatever whatever the heck you're listening to us on, SoundCloud or iTunes or Player or whatever, wherever you overcast got Overcast, too. Yeah, 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 yeah get, out overcast. There and, uh, get out there and uh, give us a little rating. Take a, take two minutes out of your day and give us a nice little rating and a review. We would greatly appreciate that. Thank you to uh, everybody following us on patreon and supporting us there patreon.com forward slash the great podcast and uh, those of you who've been uh, playing along with us on our uh, silly little uh jokes on facebook our little uh, images uh thank you there and that always gives us a good chuckle throughout the week and uh, we have a lot of fun really appreciate all the feedback and all of the support thank you everybody brando yes james sign this logbook.
1: i gotta okay. go dear jamesy get well soon all right, I'll do, do out the years here. So, there we go. Okay. See you guys next week. Safe diving, folks.
0: Sounds like um, the guy was trying to do a not go below 70 feet or so.
1: An eagle's nest.
0: Yeah. I think just go through that opening into that room that's 300 feet deep. He's going to
1: stay up at the top. Let me just put it in just a little bit, honey. Clip. <laughs>